From our lair in the wretched heart of the state capitol, this is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm your host, Rick Flagg, better known as the Sasquatch of the Tallahassee Press Corps. Been covering this circus for some of the best radio stations in Florida since, oh, 1978, when I was just a wee journalism major at Florida A&M. Now, that means this podcast is my first chance in more than 40 years as a journalist to do a story that runs more than 40 seconds. And I can take these long, dramatic pauses, sometimes for no reason at all. But I'm just a part of the team here at Sunrise. You'll be hearing from FloridaPolitics.com correspondents throughout the state, and we have a long list of reliable sources inside the Tallahassee bubble to keep you up to speed on the latest debacle coming out of the Capitol. Our top story today, it's back to business in Florida politics after the Sunshine State escapes the wrath of Hurricane Dorian, and Governor Ron DeSantis is getting good reviews, at least compared to his predecessor. It's Splitsville for one of the leading Democrats in the Florida Senate. Gary Farmer telling his colleagues he's been separated for months and is now in a relationship with a Tallahassee lobbyist. Today we go in-depth on a push to bring the Equal Rights Amendment back to life almost 40 years after it was killed by the Florida Senate. And we'll keep you up to date with the latest antics of that everyman anti-hero who brings shame and mirth to the Sunshine State. His name, of course, is Florida Man. Next up, the news. Governor Ron DeSantis is getting good reviews from local emergency management officials for his performance during Hurricane Dorian. It was his first major storm since taking over as governor, and there's a lot of talk around the state about how different this was compared to the previous governor. Rick Scott insisted on controlling the message and serving as the official spokesman for anything to do with the storm. Reporters were kept out of the emergency operations center, or at least the important parts of it, and some of the state's own experts were told simply not to talk to the press. They did not want anyone stealing Governor Scott's thunder, even if he did not have the answers we needed. That has changed under DeSantis. He shared the microphone and let the experts speak. Now, former Governor Scott also took a lot of heat during Hurricane Irma when he came off sounding like the voice of doom, warning people to get out. More than six million Floridians evacuated and were promptly stuck in traffic. Those who did get out had trouble getting back because the roads were jammed, the rivers were flooded. This time around, there was no mass evacuation. Now, more than 100 healthcare facilities were emptied in advance because of the storm, but that is to be expected. More than a dozen residents from a nursing home in Broward County died in the aftermath of Irma when the air conditioning failed, so no one is taking any chances with healthcare facilities anymore. So Ron DeSantis has passed his first test as a hurricane governor, but lest anyone get cocky, remember this really was just a test. It is a whole different thing entirely when the storm doesn't veer away at the last minute and starts heading inland. Just ask the folks in the panhandle who are still dealing with the cleanup, let alone the rebuilding, almost a year after Hurricane Michael. The governor's political committee has received more than half a million dollars in contributions in August as it continues to pile up cash. The website for a PAC called Friends of Ron DeSantis says they received $560,478, including donations of $25,000 apiece from Duke Energy of Florida, Big Business Lobbying Group, Associated Industries of Florida, and tobacco company Altria Client Services. The committee raised almost $1.5 million for DeSantis in May, June, and July combined. State Senator Gary Farmer, who is scheduled to become the Democratic leader of the Florida Senate after next year's election, has informed many of his colleagues in the upper chamber that he has separated from his wife and is now in a relationship with a Tallahassee lobbyist. Farmer released a statement to Florida Politics acknowledging the relationship and his comments to fellow senators. Now, here's the quote. 
As is common knowledge among our close friends and family, my wife and I have been separated for a few months. Shortly after the separation, I felt it was important, as leader-designate, to inform my colleagues of this fact. At this time, I have no further comments except to say this was a painful and difficult time for my family and me, and we ask for privacy. By the way, I will work on my farmer impression in the future. He declined to answer any questions about the relationship, like when it began with the lobbyist, whether it had any impact on his work in the Senate. He's also hoping this disclosure will not affect his position as the incoming leader of the Senate Democrats. Speaking of the legislature, the Florida House of Representatives has finally released its schedule of committee hearings for the week of September 16th. More than two dozen House committees will be meeting that week. It all starts with appropriations, of course. Now, the Senate had already released its schedule. Lawmakers will hold one week of committee hearings in September, October, November, and December before starting the 2020 session for real on January 14th. There's an opening on the 1st District Court of Appeals in Tallahassee, and Florida politics reporter Jim Rossick has been going through the job applications. He found some fascinating stuff. One of the candidates was involved in some of the very first litigation over Everglades preservation. Another got a client off the hook for what is described as an eight-figure sum. Another would check his grocery receipts to make sure he was rightly charged for every item and says he never went over the speed limit. Those are just a few of the tidbits from the public comment file made available this week by the 1st District Court of Appeals Judicial Nominating Commission. Time now for a blast from the past that may reverberate in your future. It's called the ERA. Florida has the dubious distinction of being the state that killed the Equal Rights Amendment back in 1982. But as they said at the time, ERA won't go away. The National Organization for Women is mounting a new campaign to reverse that vote in the Florida legislature. We only need one more state to ratify, and we want it to be our state, the state of Florida. So we will be gathering together all the organizations just like we did in the 70s, in 81-82 session, to get the ERA ratified and uh, guarantee women's equality in the Constitution of the United States of America. Barbara Devane has been lobbying in Tallahassee since the 70s, and the ERA was her first big bill. The House of Representatives approved it several times between 1972 and 1982, but the conservative pork choppers who ran the Florida Senate made sure it never saw the light of day. They claimed women were already protected by the 14th Amendment. But Tallahassee attorney Linda Michalowicz says that's no longer a valid argument. You think that 14th Amendment would have satisfied those women, but uh, no less an authority than uh, the late uh, Justice Antonin Scalia said the 14th Amendment doesn't cover women. And for once, we agree with him. The pork choppers also claimed women would lose rights under ERA, that they could be forced to do everything from serve in the military to share bathrooms with men, something that's commonplace today. But Tallahassee City Commissioner Diane Williams-Cox says the real reasons the good old boys killed ERA was economics. They did not want businesses to be forced to pay women the same as men. It is now time for us to level this playing field. We know that for the dollar, 71% of that dollar is earned by the white female. By the black female, it's 61%. And even worse, for our Hispanic sisters, 53%. Now where is the fairness and equality in that? And Kim Armstrong with Florida Now says equal pay for equal work is a good idea regardless of your gender. You know, if you or someone you love is a woman, this is something that you should get behind and this is a chance for Florida to make history. We need one more state 
to ratify this ERA, and then we can have written in the Constitution that women have equal rights, and that's important to everybody. Women lead, I think, 40% of households with children, so if they are guaranteed equal pay, the economy is going to benefit from that. Everyone is going to benefit from that. ERA has lots of support with rank-and-file lawmakers, but the guys who run the show really don't want to hear it. When Devane tried to convince Representative Bob Rommel to agenda the bill in his Civil Justice Committee earlier this spring, things did not go well. Well, I made uh, Representative Rommel very uncomfortable because I brought up pay equity for one thing. But the other thing I said to him was, you know, most reforms are complex or complicated, but not equality. It's very simple. Either you're for discriminating against women or you're against discriminating against women. He jumped up out of his seat and ran out of the room and said he had another meeting. So Devane and her allies are stepping up the campaign and taking their plea to the governor. Well, almost. Ron DeSantis was on the road, so they had to settle for Tyler Russell, who lobbies for the gov. Um, I'm not aware of how he stands on this specific, on the ERA, but... How do you feel about it? Should women have equal rights? <laughs> um, I, I, I don't have a personal opinion on that. I... <laughs> That's your wife? Um, you know, I haven't asked her. You need to. <laughs> I will. Next I'll time I come, her. I'm going to ask you. All right. And remember, a happy wife is a happy life. Yes, yes. <laughs> okay, well, so. I, that's what I aim for. Devane says they're trying to get face-to-face -face meetings with Governor DeSantis and legislative leaders so they can pose one simple question. You're either for discrimination against women or you're against it. So which side are you on? That's what we will be asking legislators and the governor. It's Thursday, and that means there's a good chance we'll be getting a batch of new decisions from the Florida Supreme Court. If there are new opinions, they will be released at 11 o'clock Eastern Time. Hang on to your wallets. The Public Service Commission's meeting today. There's a 9 a.m. start at the Joe Cressy Hearing Room in the Betty Easley Conference Center in Tallahassee. And election protection is on the agenda tonight in Broward County. A group called Progress for All is teaming up with Democrats in Hollywood to host a forum about election security and election rigging. It starts at half past six at the Hollywood Beach Culture and Community Center. And now, the continuing adventures of Florida Man. Pedro Julio Ruiz has been arrested in Pasco County on charges of running a marijuana grow house where deputies found 24 plants. Ruiz doesn't actually own the house and was not there during the raid, but searchers found his name on a bottle of prescription meds. They also found some of his paperwork for a previous probation. And then they discovered a power bill in his name from Duke Energy. By the way, the power company says he was stealing from the grid almost $12,000 worth. So along with the drug house charges, Ruiz also accused of grand theft of utility services. But Florida man can also be ingenious without breaking the law. In what may be one of the most enduring images of our times, Patrick Eldridge of Jacksonville actually parked his tiny smart car in the family kitchen, which has double doors so he could drive right in. His wife Jessica says he was afraid it might be blown away by the hurricane, and she posted several photos of the kitchen car on social media. By the way, there's a big FSU tag on the front bumper. Make of that what you will. Finally, today, police in Tallahassee say they have recovered the championship belt that was stolen over the weekend from newly crowned all-elite wrestling world champion Chris Jericho. Jericho won the belt on Saturday, but it was left inside his rented limo while they were dining at the Longhorn Steakhouse here in Tallahassee. Jericho posted a video on his Twitter account confirming the theft and vowing to find the culprit. I'm AEW champion Chris Jericho, and unfortunately, less than 24 hours after I became the first AEW champion, with blood streaming down my face after one of the hardest matches I've ever had in my life, 
some lowlife scumbag committed grand larceny and robbed me of the AEW championship. I am launching a worldwide investigation using the top private investigators in the world today to find out who committed this crime. And trust me, as the AEW champion, as your Le Champion, I promise to regain and restore and find and reclaim the AEW championship. And once again, give you another reason to finally give me the thank you that I deserve. You're welcome. Well, thank you, Chris. By the way, Tallahassee police have not tracked down the thief, but they say the belt was turned in by a citizen who claims they found it on the side of the road. It's valued at almost $30,000. Heck of a belt. And that's it for this edition of Sunrise. Thanks today to Peter Schorsch and Jim Rossica for helping make this podcast a reality. Now, if you're still confused by the entire concept, just remember this. It's radio without the station. This is Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee for Florida Politics. Thank you.